Well, good morning and uh, welcome wherever you are tuning in from as we uh, worship our God on this Lord's Day. I'm delighted that you can participate with us this day. Again, I want to uh, thank everyone who's involved in making it possible uh, for you to join in in worship this day. Again, Chris Hedledge is running things in the uh, sound booth and the video. And uh, those who are singing today are Jocelyn Clark, uh, Gene Hesse, Dick Forrester, Harold and Teresa Parker, Tom and Susan Porter, Barb Browntree, and Carol Walker. Of course, Amy Reaver, our music director, is leading us uh, in the music. Uh, I want to uh, also uh, thank everyone for your continually faithful uh, to send in your offerings to the church. Uh, we are greatly dependent upon your faithfulness, remembering to, to either mail in your checks or you've been bringing them by, you've been uh, using your bank. We now have a fourth option for you. And you can go to our church website, click on giving, and it'll show you how you may give there on the uh, the website itself. So uh, please continue your faithfulness in giving to your church. I want to note also for everyone who has signed up for communion for today, not to forget your uh, forget that. We look, I look forward to seeing you in the pavilion uh, later this day. If you had wanted to you, and, and forgotten all about it, uh, give me a call, and we'll see if we can still work something out for you. And uh, let me just give thanks and and congratulations or appreciation. Uh, to all the mothers who are out there on this day, we're also thinking of our mothers on this Mother's Day as well. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship. Oh, 
Hear these words from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord all his works. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's bless, let's give praise to our great God and Son.
do say, Great are you, Lord. You are our high and heavenly King, and you are worthy of all praise and blessing. We have come here on this day to glorify you. Wherever we are, whether we are in this sanctuary, whether we are in different homes, wherever we may be, together we lift up our voices to give you thanks and praise for your glory and for your majesty. We thank you that we may come before you for your very presence because of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has won our victory upon that cross, has made us to be counted as righteous in your sight so that you will receive our prayers and our worship. We give you praise for your Holy Spirit, whom you have sent uh, to be within us and among us. And we pray for that anointing of your Spirit so that in all that we do now, will be for your honor, that you will great, take great delight in this worship we offer unto you. And we pray to you the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For our confession of faith uh, this morning, we'll be using the first two questions of the Heidelberg Catechism. Let me begin by asking you this question, Christian. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three Three things. First, First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. And so we do thank God for this great deliverance. For this first scripture reading, I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 6. Verses 25 to 33. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's continue our worship in singing, I Have a Shelter. to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we give you thanks that you have called us to come before you. Your Son, Jesus Christ, bid us to to take our needs to our Father in prayer and has assured us that our Father will hear his children. 
We thank you for that knowledge and we thank you that you are the God in heaven, the God who is supreme over all this universe. And so you're the God who not only will listen to your to our prayers, but you're the God who is able to answer those prayers. We can trust in you. We can hold on you in a time of storm and we think of this storm of the pandemic. We have been made to see how helpless we truly are. That our life, our very breath, always depends upon you, your protection of us, your sustaining us, your provision for us. So we thank you for having a God who we know has all the power to carry out your will for us, We thank you that our God is our Father. And so we can know that you treat us not indifferently, not begrudgingly, but you treat us with the tender love of a father for his children. We pray, our Father, for your kingdom to come, and we pray so then for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the time for that, and we entrust that in your hands. Meanwhile, then, we we pray that your kingdom here, that our Lord has already established upon this earth, will continue to uh, expand, will continue to go forth. We pray for that work of your Holy Spirit, of breaking into the hearts of those whose hearts have been hardened to the gospel, that he will so work in hearts, causing those who are lost to be born again, and then having the, the ears to hear the gospel, to receive it, to turn to it in faith, to repent of their sins. That they might enter into the kingdom with us. That they may know the, the joy of belonging to you. And so we pray. We pray for those who are, are near us. Those within our very homes, our loved ones, those in our families those who are our neighbors, who are our friends. We pray for those of whom we just know of their names. We pray for those who are complete strangers to us, those in other parts of the, of the world, that they would enter into your kingdom, that they would hear the gospel, that they would respond to the gospel again by the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would use us in the reaching out to the lost, Give us that burden, that compassion that belongs to you, that belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be faithful in testifying to the hope and the glory of the gospel, what it is to know forgiveness of sins, what it is to know reconciliation with our God and to become your children, to know what it is to to have assurance in the midst of a world that is filled with uncertainty, so that we do not need to fear. And though there may be a plague all about us, that we know that nothing can touch our souls, that the worst that can happen to us is to lose this earthly life and then be uh, ushered into the glory of our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, our hope remains ever strong. We, We pray for our loved ones for everyone throughout this world to know this same hope, this same joy. 
We lift up those who have gone to other parts of this world, who have left their homes, have gone into other cultures, have learned other tongues. They may share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We lift up those who have left their homes from other countries, have even come to here, to our own country, with that gospel. We pray that you would answer the prayers of all of these who have gone forth with the gospel of Christ, answer their prayers, that they will be fruitful. We pray, our Father, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for ourselves to do your will. We who know our Father, may we be those who, who by our words, by our speech, by our actions, we do your will, and therefore we show your honor and, and your glory. We pray, our Father, that we would do your will, whatever the cost may be. And if it should bring against us uh, animosity, if it should bring against us even persecution, that we would remain faithful to your will and so honor your name. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are going through persecution in other countries. Uh, Just by the very fact of, of confessing the name of Jesus Christ by the very action of worshiping uh, their Lord. They place their lives in danger. They place their welfare uh, in danger. And we pray for your protection of them and uphold them. But all the more we, we pray for that you would answer their prayers to remain faithful to you. And may they so be a model to us as we face whatever animosity we may go through in trials and difficulties. Our Father, we pray for our daily bread, and particularly on this Lord's Day, we pray for the the bread of your word. And that in a little while, when your word is read and it is proclaimed, feed us, feed our souls, our spirits. We We are hungry for your word. We are hungry for truth. We pray that you will feed our bodies physically, continue to provide, and, and our Father, we particularly pray at this time for the dangers to our economy, for so many who are out of work, those who once were secure are now wondering where uh, they will have the money to continue just to provide for their family and themselves, to keep their businesses afloat. And so we all look to you. Provide for us. Provide for each of us individually. Provide for our country. Provide for the needs of this world. It is at such a delicate and perilous state. And we look to you to sustain us. Pray, our Father, for the forgiveness of our sins. We have to confess that though we We confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have often lived as though we have not been saved, as though there is no hope beyond this world, and we have uh, transgressed against your law. We must confess that we have held the offenses of others. We continue to hold on to that, and we have remained angry and bitter against those who have offended us. Confess that before you and pray that you would give us the heart that our Lord Jesus has, that you have, 
that is, of forgiving those who have offended you. We pray, our Father, that you protect us all the more to fall into further sin. You know those sins that beset us. We pray that you would give us victory over them and sustain us, pick us up each time we fall, particularly to protect us from the evil one, Satan, who desires our downfall. May we continue to live for your kingdom, consciously live in and through your power and to your glory. In Christ's name, amen.
For a second uh, scripture reading, I'm going to read again from Matthew 6, this time verses 9 through 15. Let us hear the word of God. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, last Sunday, I uh, began the, the message with a confession and uh, so are you ready for another one? I once belonged to a charismatic, mostly Roman Catholic community. It's actually in Augusta and it's still there. Now, I, I very much appreciated my time there. And one of the, the most striking features I remember about that community and the people there was there had to do with the way that they prayed. They spent what seemed to me at that time an exorbitant amount of time in just praising God, just praising, giving Him thanks. They would start off and, and they would begin to pray and, and the prayer would go on and on and on and they're just filled with thanksgiving and with praise. Now as a Protestant, I mean, I was used to starting my, you know, I would start prayer also with praise and with thanksgiving. That was always more like a prelude. That was quickly gotten over so that I could move to the real business of prayer. And that was asking God for stuff, as for making petitions. So God, thank you for something and this and that. Now, let's get on to the real business of the prayer. Well, we are going to get to the petitions today. As we continue, or I continue my testimony of how the Lord's Prayer has impacted my my prayer life and my Christian walk. So let me review, first of all, what I shared about the first and the, the last sections of the Lord's Prayer. These sections turn our focus to God, to who He is, uh, and how we're to understand our role in honoring Him. He is our Father in Heaven. We then are his children, and as his children, we are to honor his name. We are to serve his kingdom, we are to strive to do his will. And then that last line reminds us that we live in his kingdom, we live by and through his power, and we always live to and for his glory. So let's move now to the petition parts. It starts off with, give us this day... Our daily bread. Now, this line itself, particularly as I began to pray it, really made me uneasy. Because what I realized as I would pray, Lord, give to me this, you know, my daily bread, was that, you know, I really did, was not all that concerned about getting that daily bread. I mean, I did not wake up wondering where I was going to get the next meal 
or uh, the next day's meal. And so it felt a little disingenuous to be asking for food that I had every intention of finding in the refrigerator or because my wife gets up before me, I'm going to find it on the table. Now, of course, the, the petition is more than about physical food. It covers more things. But even so, Jesus uses that term food. And so he certainly includes food as well as whatever else he might attach to that term. So what the petition then has, has done for me is to force me to confront my self-reliance and my glib assumptions. I mean, I go through life relying really on my ability to, to earn sufficient income so that I can obtain the groceries needed from the store. And I assume that, well, such income is always going to be there. I assume that the economy will always be fine. This pandemic has helped me question that. And I always assume that everyone who's involved in the the chain of getting the food to me, they're going to keep up their end of the work. And that, by the way, leads to another confession. I don't typically think of everyone who is involved in providing my food. I mean, if I think of anyone, at the most, it's the, the people at the grocery store. But the Lord's Prayer leads me, it kind of forces me to think of those whom my Father is using to provide my daily bread. Furthermore, the Lord's Prayer leads me to my Father, whom I need to be thanking for my food each day, thanking him that I don't have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. Now, as I've already said, we all understand that Jesus has in mind here more than food. The food represents really all of our needs. Um, There is health. There is physical health, mental health, spiritual health. I I think about my bodily health. I, I pray for protection from the virus. I pray for the protection of others from the virus. As I'm getting older, I'm praying more and more for relief from certain aches and pains. But as I, as I now am praying for protection, praying for healing, another thought is entering my mind. Am I taking the necessary steps for protection and healing? If I'm going to pray for the, the pains in my shoulder and arms or wherever, well, Am I doing the exercises that I have been taught to do to take care of those things? Am I eating as I know that I, in the way that I ought to eat? Am I taking the precautions that I know that I should be taking? And if I am not doing those things, well, why am I asking God basically to do my work for me, to, to provide directly through what he, what he has already provided secondarily through these other means. And I won't avail myself of those things. I mean, in other words, to be truthful about it, I'm confronted with my own lack of discipline and my laziness. Well, let's move on so I can get away from myself there. 
So I, I, I make petitions for my wife and for my family. I pray for my church. I pray for you. I pray for my neighbors. I pray for my country, for the whole world. But even then, those prayers become dangerous for me because they lead me now to start asking how I am doing my part to provide daily bread for them and to be a blessing. Now, I want to be careful here. This is not to say that asking my Father in Heaven to meet my needs and others, it's not that it's becoming a burden for me. I mean, to be truthful, I'm not overloaded with guilt. But making these petitions do keep before me my own duty to be a good neighbor. To take responsibility for matters that I have been given some influence, some control over so that I can help others. But even more to the point, when I come to this prayer about asking for my daily bread, that first section colors now my petitions. Let's remember again the opening of the Lord's Prayer. What it does is it drives into my mindset, particularly now when I'm doing it day after day, drives into my mindset the following thoughts. How God is my Father. How he is the Holy One in heaven. How what matters to him is that his name be honored as sacred. How I am to serve his kingdom. How I am to do his will in in thought, word, and deed. And so with all of those thoughts in my head, I come now to this phrase, give us this day our daily bread. And you can see then how those thoughts influence now how I pray for that daily bread. Yes, I I personally, I do have needs for, for food, for health, for many things that affect my welfare. But the Lord's Prayer now has me thinking in terms of purpose. My Father, give me my daily bread so that, for what? So that I can honor my Father's name. So that I can serve his kingdom well. So that I am enabled to do his will. Give me my daily bread so that I can be a good husband. So that I can be a good father and a good grandfather. That I can be a good neighbor. That I can be a good pastor, a good citizen in my country and in my community. Now, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying that asking for personal needs, or just thinking about what our needs are, that just in and of itself, that that is, that is selfish to do. I mean, Jesus, after all, he exhorted us to lift up our needs before our Father in heaven. And Jesus uh, has assured us that our Father does not begrudge listening to and, and giving to his children. I mean, we all have our worries and our fears and desires, and according to Jesus, we should bring those things to our Father. What I'm merely doing here is commenting on how, how the Lord's Prayer, by how Jesus has arranged that prayer, how it influences the way that I bring up those petitions now. I just can't help. When I make petitions for my own needs, to think about how to use that daily bread to serve my Lord.
I cannot help but think of how I am to be used to provide daily bread for my neighbors. And you can know that this morning, when I was praying about daily bread, I was praying as your pastor that I be used to bring the bread of God's word for you. So I can no longer ask for things just to have them, however good they might be, however needful they might be. For what purpose? That inevitably runs through my mind. And the purpose that is inevitable in my mind is flavored with honoring God's name, serving his kingdom, doing his will. Let's move on now. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, what has always puzzled me about this line, about seeking forgiveness, confessing sin, is why it comes in so late in the prayer. I mean, in a typical worship service, especially a Reformed worship service, the confession of sin typically comes in early. I mean, we're going to have praise and thanksgiving there, and then as soon as we can get it into the service, we will have it in there of confession. Indeed, if you go into many Presbyterian churches, they'll have a prayer all of itself, confessing sin, and it comes right there near the beginning of the service. And indeed, in my pastoral prayers, you may have noticed, I'd be starting off with, with praise, with thanksgiving, and I inevitably will move to confession right after that. You know, the reasoning is, is pretty evident. The idea is that, look, before we get into asking God for stuff, maybe we should first confess our sins. We need to ask forgiveness. We need to, in other words, in kind of a sense, put ourselves in right relationship with our Father before we, going, before we go to him making petitions. But, again, doing this Lord's Prayer day after day, it has forced me to consider, well, to consider what things uh, uh, that I am sinful of. So I, I, I pray, Lord, about doing his will. I pray about holding his name sacred. I pray about, uh, you know, honoring his name and, and serving the kingdom. So as I come to praying for about that, praying all the things that comes into my mind, you can see then, by the time I get to the confession, I now know what to confess. Indeed, oftentimes when I'm in that praise and that thanksgiving part, and, and the Spirit is convicting me, and I'm having to tell myself, okay, I need to wait till I get to the confession before I start confessing that sin. So it informs me, it, it, it gives me what I need by the time I get there to acknowledge what I need to confess before the Lord. So, as I said, I see now by the Lord's Prayer how my life is to be oriented towards serving and honoring my Lord. I, I, again, when I make my petitions ahead of time before the, uh, before the confession of faith, and I'm being convicted as I'm making petitions, it again will provide for me what I need to be confessing and seeking forgiveness about. Now, I only learned recently 
that some Christians actually have trouble with this part of asking forgiveness. They, they think of it this way. They say, look, uh, it's all right to confess sin. But hasn't Jesus already obtained that forgiveness of sin for us? I mean, aren't we already taught that our sins of the past, our present sins, and our sins of the future, they are all forgiven? Why then are we asking, particularly every day, to be forgiven of what we've already been forgiven of? Well, to me, the answer is simple. Think again to whom we are praying. We are praying to our Father. Now let's think about this. What father does not teach his children when they have done wrong that you need to apologize? You need to ask forgiveness. Now is that father going to disinherit his children? Is he going to withhold his love from them and his protection of them? Well, no. I mean, the reason we know that he requires repentance of his children is for their sake. The father knows that the children are in danger of becoming flippant about their offenses uh, for, against, uh, against the father and against their, against their parents and against their others. And so he knows he must impress upon them the necessity of saying, I'm sorry, for their sake, to help them. You know, Christians who, I think, confess sin, but then do not bother with asking for forgiveness, they're in danger of taking their forgiveness for granted. I remember once a man expressing to me his comfort in knowing God's forgiveness for his adultery. Now, he was trying to deal with that, and he had repented, but uh, when he said that to me, I remember saying to him, look, I should be the one having to assure you of God's forgiveness, not you assuring me of his forgiveness. And I read to him from Romans 2, verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now look, it is true that being a Christian means that we no longer need fear the judgment for our sins. Christ has paid that penalty. We have received forgiveness of our past sins, the sins we're wrestling with now, the sins of the future. But being a Christian does not mean that we take uh, lightly the sins that we commit. And daily confession, daily asking for forgiveness, at least it's helping me to keep me from having a flippant attitude about my sin. Now, there's also a very healthy benefit to confession and asking for forgiveness. Have you ever had a, you know, you've committed an offense against someone, someone you love, and then what happens to you? You're, you're plagued with guilt. You know, that loved one may not even know what the offense is, uh, but it troubles you all the same. It's just this dark cloud that just hangs over your head. And so whenever you're around that person, you feel awkward. You don't feel like you can just talk to them. That Something's wrong now with that relationship. Not on their end, but on your end. You feel like they know the offense. 
and that they see you always in the light of that offense. And so finally, finally you just blurt it out. You, you admit the offense that you had committed against them. You shamefacedly ask for forgiveness. And what happens? You receive a smile. You receive a hug. You receive a, a thank you for admitting your fault. And that person tells you that everything's okay. What happens? Relief. Peace. It just rises up in you. You, It it feels so good, doesn't it, to, to hear that your debt has been forgiven. And would you have remained loved without that confession? Yes. But would you have experienced that moment of really feeling that love as you do after the confession? Well, not likely. And so this is what confession and asking for forgiveness, at least it has done for me. I think about how I failed to honor my father's name, how I failed to serve his kingdom as well as I ought, how I have not done his will on earth as it is in heaven. How I've made poor use of the gifts that he has given to me, the daily bread he's given to me, and not use them as well as I should for his service. And yet, oddly enough, when I confess those sins, when I'm asking for forgiveness, it is that very act of asking for forgiveness that brings me back to that forgiveness one on the cross for me that it really hits home in my heart. My sins, they really are forgiven. And my father does not love me because, well, I did a good job of uh, confessing my sin and I, you know, I think I did a better job uh, yesterday living for his will and and I'm really making a good promise and effort later today to, to do his will. No, he loves me. Because of what my Lord Jesus has done on the cross. He, he loves me because of that relationship that I have been brought in to, to knowing him as, his father, as my father because of the cross. And so each day, asking forgiveness for my daily sins brings me daily back to the cross. And I tell you, that's a great place to be. Now, what about that troubling contingent clause as we forgive our debtors? And to make sure that his disciples do not miss his meaning, after Jesus gives that prayer, he he adds this little part. If you do not forgive others of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Well, let me just say how this clause, how it works in me. And what it has done is it keeps me from two things. One is treating my own sins glibly. And then secondly, of avoiding the sin that I am most likely to harbor. Let me take that first one. So I'm praying to to my father, asking to forgive me for failing to keep a promise I made to him. You know, to serve him and do his will. Okay, I feel better now. I think, well, yes, of course he forgives me. That is what Jesus has done on the cross. 
And then that next clause comes up about as I forgive my neighbor. Well, I have to admit that breaking my promise to my father in the first place never really actually disturbed my sleep. But when I think about how my neighbor had broken his promise to me and how he has dealt wrongly with me, well, that's kept me up all night. Whenever anybody brings it up or I happen to think about it, it, it just, I think about it all the time. How could he lie to me? How could he treat his offense so flippantly so that even when I confront him, he doesn't even say that he's sorry? And then that, what comes into my mind is, gee, maybe my offense against my father is like my neighbor's offense against me. Indeed, given who my father is, maybe my offense is much worse. So again, it, the weight uh, of my sin hits home to me more, uh, you know, more heavily, has a greater impact because of that clause. Now, what is the sin that I am most likely to harbor? Well, I actually gave it away, didn't I, just, just at that moment. It's an unforgiving spirit. And without that contingency clause, this sin of this unforgiving spirit, it would remain far in the recesses of my mind. I, I simply wouldn't even think about it. And the result of that, the, the effect of having that kind of sin is that it sows discord in both my relations with my neighbors and certainly in my walk with my Lord. Perhaps I am forgiven, yes. But it keeps me from being a useful son of my father as I could be. And I'm certainly not the son who then best honors the name of my father. And so the Lord's Prayer leads me to deal with that sin that can cause the deepest harm in my witness for my father and my relations with others. And I should also add, by the way, that term debts, how that term has been helpful to me. Well, by the way, you know, for one thing, it helps identify when I'm praying in mixed company who are Presbyterians, don't I? Only the Presbyterians use that term debts. Uh, everyone else wants to use trespasses. Now, trespass is a good word to use. I mean, Jesus uses that term following the prayer. And we all know that the term debts refers to sins. But that term, debts, impresses on me my position before God. My sins make me God's debtor. I visualize for myself a, a large stack of IOUs that keep stacking up on my desk. And they must be accounted for. And then I see Jesus paying all those bills and removing the pile. And so all the more thankful I am to my Father for forgiveness. And even more to the point, all the more convicted I am to know that I'm holding on to these supposed IOUs of my neighbors. And I think, how could I possibly hold against others these small, so-called offenses towards me? considering what my Lord has done to wipe out that impossibly high stack of offenses toward my Father. Well, let's move on here. 
So we've been praying, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then we move to, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this line has bothered a lot of people, and certainly has bothered the Pope, the most recent Pope, so much that he has had it been changed to do not abandon us to temptation. Now, this is actually where the Pope and John Calvin come close to agreement. Now, Calvin, on this line, said, look, we cannot understand this first clause about leading us into temptation without the second. And he said, this is how we should understand the whole line. It has to be all brought together. You can't break them apart. And he says it should be more like this, that we, that we may not be led into temptation, Deliver us from evil. And to tell you the truth, I've read Calvin, I've read other commentators, and each one trying to explain all this, and I get all the more confused (laughs) trying to, to understand even what they are saying. And so all I can add to this discussion is how that line affects my prayer. And it leads me to think about, uh, about sin and about being led into temptations, and so on, in a couple of ways. Primarily this. It enforces upon me how easily I am led into sin. And when I think about that, I immediately, I just immediately plead to my Father's protection. Now, there are specific temptations that I know that I easily give in to. And so I pray that my Father will will lead me away from those things. I keep me from being exposed to those temptations. And now that I've already confessed sins that I've committed, I know specifically what sins to pray that he keeps me from committing. This, my confession has also exposed how vulnerable I am to temptation. It has humbled me. And so now I, I look to my Father for protection. I do not boast to Him what I will not do, what I will do for Him. It keeps me from falling into Peter's trap of boasting how, how I will handle temptation, how I will stand up to adversity for Him. Now it asks me all the more to my Father, protect me. Watch over me. Deliver me from evil. Now that evil, by the way, could be translated evil one. That is meaning Satan. And I do pray to be delivered from Satan's attacks. I do remember that I have an enemy who, if he cannot rob my soul, which he cannot do, he still can lead me into sin that dishonors my Father's name and that renders me ineffective to serve the kingdom. But I also know this, that I do not need Satan to continually work at tempting me to give way to sin. My own frailties and the temptations and the, the troubles of this world are enough to reckon with all by themselves. And so I pray, deliver me from evil, meaning deliver me from the flesh, from the world, and from the devil. 
And so as I come to the conclusion of the prayer, you know, asking Father for my daily prayer, uh, asking for forgiveness of sins, asking for protection from temptation, this last line comforts and encourages me, reminding me that belongs to my Father in heaven is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. It reinforces for me how it is in other words, that I can expect a positive answer. And it also brings me back to what my life is to be about. And that is to be serving my Father's kingdom through his power and for his glory. Well, I hope that you find my testimony of how the Lord's Prayer has impacted me helpful to you. But let me, let me remind you that merely saying the Lord's Prayer is not of itself, a, a kind of a tool that we use that's going to assure good things for you. That merely by saying it, that you're now right with God. And many people use it that way. It's kind of a, a, a magic spell. I, I remember as a youth and, and playing in football, and the, the team would gather around, and we would always say the Lord's Prayer, so that was some kind of good luck charm that would help us as we go forward. Others act as though the, the mere recitation of it, as I just said, is going to bring good luck. It's going to bring success in life. You kind of regard it as a, a formula. But I will say this to you. That when you pray the Lord's Prayer, understand, first of all, that it is for those who have been made the children of God. There's no use calling God your father if he's not your father. And we are made children of God by the work of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Remember that it is by his work and by our faith in that work that we've been adopted as God's children. And because of our Lord's work, we have been made citizens of God's kingdom, which we now serve. If you are praying the Lord's Prayer... If you're praying the Lord's Prayer and you have never come to know Christ, never turned your life over to him, first use this prayer to explore what is involved in coming to know God as your Father. In your prayers, ask God to reveal his Son to you. Ask him to give you understanding what the Son has done to provide forgiveness of your sins. But we have to remember that forgiveness comes with a cost. A cost to God the Father and God the Son. And the more that you understand the, the cost and the power of Christ's work on the cross, then I tell you, the more you will enter into, into deep praise and thanksgiving. More into this the more you will dive into a refreshing pool of humility and it will renew your spirit. It will take you into the profound joy of glimpsing God's glory. You know, I can pray the Lord's Prayer because I know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will testify this, that after nearly 50 years of knowing my Lord, he has never let me down despite the innumerable times that I have faltered and I have yielded to temptation, he has been there for me. 
And so in him and through him, I have been blessed. I have been kept safe, kept on my journey to him, to and for his glory. We do give you praise, our Father, for our Lord Jesus Christ, for that work done on the cross for us. We thank you that we have a Savior who loves us. We have a Father who loves us, who bids us to take our burdens, to take our needs to our Lord in prayer, knowing that we will be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue our worship by singing, Take It to the Lord in Prayer. God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.